So we're going to jump in today. Um, we got mom duty already. Way to go. Give her a hand. <laughs> I know that when we, when we start a series on relationships, there are several things happening at once. So I just want to acknowledge honestly as we jump into a series on relationships, here's what I know is happening in the room. Now I'm going to stereotype a little bit. You got to deal with it. The ladies in the room, you are thinking, finally, we're going to talk about relationships and many of the guys in the room are thinking, I was just starting to like this guy. <laughs> so ladies, I, I want you to know, I, I want to just kind of frame for you what many of the men in the room are thinking right now. Because what they're thinking is when it comes to relationships, we think about relationships like many of you think about a car. We don't want to work on it. We just want it to work. Got it? Like, we don't want to work on it. We just want to think about this. Like, if you go out in the garage and, and husband, boyfriend, fiance, whoever's kind of bent over the hood of the car and they're looking in there and you're going, oh, honey, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm just working on it. Why are you working on a car that's working? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you've been driving down the road and he goes, hey, do you hear that rattle? Just listen, and, and then you, you pull off, and he switches, and you're driving, and he's crawling around in the back trying to hear, like, what's, what's that, what's that rattle? And you're thinking, if the car's driving, who cares? And I'm just saying to you, for many of the guys in the room, that's what we're thinking. We don't want to work on the relationship. We just want it to, guys, work. Are you awake, three of you? Anybody else awake today? I thought this was good intro. All right, and we say that because here's what happened. When we were kids, dad walked in and dad said to us, I got to take the dog. I'm going to go get the dog worked on or fixed. And the dog came home with this cone of shame around its head. And so when we hear you say, we want to work on our relationship, we got to work on our relationship. We hear there's something broke and you're going to fix us. We don't want to work on it. We just want it to work. So if the relationship is not broken down, do we really need to talk about it? And the answer is yes, we do. We do need to talk about it. So for four or five weeks, we're going to talk about it. We're going to have some incredibly honest conversation about the things that happy couples know. We're going to talk about everything that goes into relationships. So whether you're here and you're single or you're dating or you've been dating for a while and you're thinking about engagement or you're engaged and he just doesn't know it yet or you're actually engaged or you're, you're married or you're divorced or and you don't want to be married again or you do want to be, wherever you're coming from across the spectrum, we're going to cover this whole spectrum of relationships and the things that happy couples know. So today is kind of the intro. And I want you to understand this because today I want to set the table. I want to create some tension and I don't want to resolve all the tension. So if you walk out of here like, I don't know what to do with that. You're welcome. Go to lunch and enjoy Mother's Day and then come back with somebody else next week. I want to dig into this tension today, and I want you to know this. If you're new, this is not going to be a big in-depth Bible study. We're going to get into that next week. We're going to really dig into some scripture. But today, I want to frame this for you with this image of a box, because here's what I believe. When it comes to our relationships, when it comes to your dating, your engagement, your uh, marriage, your divorce, wherever you're coming from, all of us have this certain box when it comes to our relationships. And this box is full of the things that are our hopes, our dreams, and desires. And when we enter into a relationship, every one of us brings those hopes, dreams, and desires to the relationship. So let me give you some examples of this. When you enter into a marriage or a relationship, many of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about money. <laughs> right? Are you with me? 
Nobody has dreams about money. Okay, um, some of you have dreams about money, and you think, well, when I get married, we're going to save a lot of money so we can down the road live the way we want to live. We're going to save this money. These are my hopes, dreams, and desires. And the partner says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the money. Some of you are really good at blessing the spouse to let them know, hey, what's, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is now mine. Like, you have hopes, dreams, and desires about money. Some of you entered into the relationship with hopes, dreams, and desires maybe about what you're going to drive. You thought, I'm going to keep my sports car forever. And then you had 16 kids and you said, we need a mini, not a van, a mini. You might need a big van if you got that many kids. Some of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about those things. Some of you, when it comes to uh, who's going to do the chores, who's going to take responsibility for the house being clean. Some of you are going, clean? What is that? What is that? You have hopes, dreams, and desires about he will do this, she will do this, we will do this. This is the ways we're all going to share. And some of you go, no, 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 there's no sharing in chores. That's a responsibility. And some of you have those hopes and dreams and desires. Some of you, when it comes to your time, you have hopes, dreams, and desires. Guys, you got into the relationship thinking, well, yeah, we'll get married and I'm still going to get to hang out with my friends. And she says, no, this is, I'm, all, I'm your friend. I'm your only friend anymore. And when you leave, I don't like it. And, and, and some of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about those things. Some of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about conflict and the way you're going to resolve conflict. Some of you said, I grew up in a family, and when we were mad, we shouted about it. Anybody? We got it out. We got it over with. We said we loved each other, and we moved on. Some of you said, how many problems can I stuff down in that boxing glove? Some of you said, well, I thought conflict resolution, I thought that's what sex was for. So, some of you guys have hopes, dreams, and desires about what she will maybe never wear to bed. We'll just move on. Some, some of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about your kids. And you think, I'm going to have a child. If you were an only child, you think, well, I'm not going to have just one child. I'm going to have more than one. We don't want any only children. And if we get girls, then we're going to keep going till we have a boy. And sometimes that doesn't work out. <laughs> Some of you have hopes, dreams, and desires about, this is an important one, about your calendar, right? And when you got married, she was nice enough to say, no, I'm going to give your family a lot of holidays, but I get three. Like, my family gets three holidays. We get Christmas. We get Thanksgiving and we get Easter, right? And, and your family can have all the others. Halloween, All Saints Day, Valentine's, if you don't agree with me. We have hopes, dreams, and desires that we bring into relationships. There's things that I don't have represented in this box. Like, how are we going to treat each other? What's your hopes, your dreams, your desires about that? How are we going to behave in certain situations? How is he going to behave when this happens? How is she going to behave when this happens? My, my husband, my boyfriend, my wife, my girlfriend, if they love me, they will never fill in the blank. Or if they love me, they will always, and your hopes, dreams, and desires go in there, and always and never, we, we've said before, our swear words in our house. That's, those are the things that we hope and we dream and desire. Now, I, I want to say this to you. When it comes to your hopes, your dreams, and desires, and all these things that you have in your box, typically these things emerge from a couple different places in life. Typically, they come from, from one of two places. One, they come from things that you've seen or heard. Things that you've, you've learned or seen in society or culture or the places around you, you've seen or heard these things. More often, though, your hopes, your dreams, and desires come from what we've experienced. They come from what we've experienced. And, and I would say what happens is the things that you've experienced, typically your hopes, dreams, and desires come from either things you're trying to avoid or things you're trying to recreate. 
So maybe you saw really bad relationships, really bad things about your parents or siblings or friends or neighbors or the legacy of your family, and you're saying, I want to avoid that, but I will change that, so we'll, we'll cancel it. We're not going to let that happen. Or you're saying, no, I saw really good things, and I want to recreate that. Maybe you had an older brother, older sister. You saw, oh, the way they did relationships, that makes sense. And so what happens is we're either trying to avoid things or we're trying to recreate them. Now, let me tell you something about your box. In the middle of your box, there's this little character in life called me. Because this is really about me. This is about my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. And we function in that way. But what happens is that because this is all about me, when we get married or we end up in a deep relationship with someone, we say, here, these are my hopes, dreams, and desires, and now I'm giving them to you. I'm giving my hopes, dreams, and desires to you. And the problem with that is that they suddenly become expectations. They suddenly cease being your hopes, dreams, and desires, and now they feel more like expectations for your partner, for your spouse. And that feels like a weight to them. See, expectations are simply this. They're strong beliefs that something will happen or will be the case in the future. It's a strong assumption that something is going to happen. It's going to be the case in the future. So I've got my hopes, dreams, and desires. I've given them to you, and now I expect you to fulfill them. But the problem is that attempting to recreate or avoid something from the past transforms these things into expectations for your spouse and says, it's time for you to fulfill these for me. So even in the best of relationships, even in the most ideal situation for relationships, even the best fall down sometimes. Even the wrong words seem to rhyme. Out of the doubt that fills my mind, I somehow find that you and I collide. See what I did there? <laughs> now, here's the thing. When eyes collide, now see, listen, this is not about you and me. This is about eyes because you're an eye and I'm an eye. And when eyes collide, we swap boxes. I give you my box of hopes, dreams, and desires. You give me your box of hopes, dreams, and desires. And suddenly we expect each other to fulfill those hopes, dreams, and desires. So what happens is when eyes collide, one of five different things typically happens. And I want to walk through these today. Here's the first one. One, when eyes collide, we leave. One of us leaves. Some of you have experienced that. You've walked through marriages where you collided and you said, we can't do this anymore. We've been colliding for years. It's over and so we're gonna leave. Or your parents did that. You experienced this departure and you say, I don't want this. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I can't handle your expectations. I'll never be who you want me to be. I'm done. And you know what you do when you leave? You pack up your box and you take it with you and you wait till you find the next person and you say, here, here's my hopes, dreams, and desires. I'd like for you to fulfill these. Now we're laughing. We're also preaching, aren't we? So when eyes collide, some of us leave. Here's the second thing. We win. We win. When eyes collide, generally in every relationship, there is a stronger personality, and that personality wants to be the winner. They want to be the dominant one. And in those situations, one person generally wins and uses what I call the four C's of terrible relationships to win. Now, if you're looking for how to have a terrible relationship, I'm going to give you these four C's. Here they are. Convince, convict, control, or coerce. Let's walk through these. Convince. These are the debate team captains in the room. I am one of these people. I will own that, okay? 
The debate team captain says, I'm, I, I understand that you're not seeing my side, but it's because we haven't talked about it long enough. I will convince you that I'm correct. I will explain to you why you're wrong, the fallibility of your thinking, and you will then learn why I'm right. Because I just want you to understand, if you'll just trust me and become more like me, you'll be happier. Stop looking at your spouses and look at me. And here's the problem with that. God doesn't want your partner to abandon who they are. God doesn't want your partner to give up their hopes, their dreams, their desires to become something that you want them to be. So convincing them, you may feel really good, but you're asking them to become something they're not. Here's the second C, convict. I don't want to be critical of what you're thinking, but that's just kind of dumb. So I just want you to understand the guilt of, of, of what you feel. I, I don't want to judge you, but look at how wrecked your family is and how that worked out for your parents. Let's not do that. See what I'm saying? These are terrible relationships. The third one, we seek to control. We seek to practice our authority to dominate in that way. Or we coerce, we, we shift, or we manipulate the situation. And at the end of the day, the person who says, I win, is very happy. It's good to win. You don't want to fight? Nope, okay. So we win, the winner is happy and cannot figure out, why are you so unhappy? I feel good about our relationship, I won. I convinced you, I convicted you, whatever. I won and we can't figure out. And what happens is when you win, you have two people now functioning out of the same box and one of those people is miserable. The other one feels good about it. So we leave or we win. Here, here's the third thing when, when eyes collide. We conform, we conform. Some of you, when you collide in the situation, you are responding to the person who wins. You are conforming to the person who wins. So what happens is the conformer says, I will become somebody I'm not, someone I'm not, to compensate for the person who will not accept me as I am. Let me re-explain that. I will actually conform to your expectations I will become something that I was never meant to be so that you will accept me because you will not accept me as I am. I want someone else to be happy regardless of whether I'm happy or not. And I will say this will work for a while. Conforming will work for a while. Do you know why? Because the temperature, the tension temperature of your relationship will actually go down if you conform. It will actually shift. It will actually work for a little bit. But when someone is simply giving up who they are, here's what happens. When you are conforming to someone else, you will lose respect for your partner, number one. And I'll say this, your partner will lose respect for you. It happens. So we conform. Here's the fourth, fourth thing we do when eyes collide. We compromise. Now, I want to say this to you. Many people believe when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, that compromise is the goal. You think that's what we should do, that compromise is the way that it works. This is how we win. Some of you actually saw your parents do this, but here's what you know and I know about your parents. They were not maybe in a great marriage, but they weren't either in a bad marriage. They were kind of meh, like we're good. We compromised. Aren't we happy? We compromised. And what I know about that is they weren't really happy because compromise says we both do our parts, but all the while, as we're doing our part, we're watching each other to see who makes the mistake. Compromise becomes a contract. Compromise becomes something that we've agreed to this. We're going to find middle ground, but it's contractual. So what are we doing for the holiday next year? It doesn't matter. We already decided. We compromised. There's no room. 
We compromised. We already decided. We've, we've got to figure this out. And I would say in the compromise mentality, there's no room for change. In this kind of compromising relationship, there ends up being low trust. Because when you're constantly compromising, you're always looking for mistakes. Are you going to let me down? Are you going to renege on our contract? What is going on? We compromised. And the trust goes lower and lower and lower. And I would say this to you. When there's low trust, there ends up being low intimacy. You can't, because you can't give yourself fully to someone that you don't trust. So singles in the room, let me just tell you the secret of great sex. You ready? Got awkward all of a sudden, didn't it? (laughs) The secret of great sex has nothing to do with physicality. Intimacy is deeply tied to trust because you cannot give yourself fully to someone that you do not trust. Something begins to happen in a relationship when trust goes down and it's still physical. You can still have that physicality, but it's not intimate and it's not fantastic because the trust isn't there. So compromise is there. And I would say this, you can compromise and your marriage may work. If you compromise, your marriage may even go the distance. You might die married to that same person. But the relationship is never what it's meant to be if the way that you collide is truly seeking only compromise because compromise is fueled by the wrong thing. And let me tell you what compromise is fueled by. Compromise is fueled by a commitment to the relationship. All right, now think about this. That sounds good. That sounds like a good thing. I'm committed to my relationship, committed to my marriage. But can I just say this to you? None of you married a marriage. None of you married the relationship. You did not stand on the stage and go, you're okay, but I really like the marriage. I do. I do take the marriage. And you go with it, so I'll just commit to the marriage. I'm going to protect the marriage. The marriage is going to be okay. The relationship's going to be okay. And I'll take you with all that you have, and we'll be okay. We'll just keep going. So we hear this, right? Older couples, marriage is hard. We're okay. I want my marriage to work. Listen, the problem with that is that it puts my and me right back in the center. It's all about a commitment to the relationship. Now, can I just say this? I don't want Carrie committed to our marriage. I want Carrie committed to me. Carrie wants me committed to her. See, this compromise sounds good, but it's not the best because there is someone else other than you, and you were not formed to just make contracts all the time. Now, it's okay because it might keep a marriage, but it's not best. It'll work, but it's not that much fun. Because the problem is the compromise keeps me at the center. So when eyes collide, we leave, we win, we conform, or we compromise. Now next week I'm going to tell you about the fifth option, and it's incredible, but I'm not going to tell you until next week. In the remaining time today, I want to talk to you about something that's going to frame this in a way that we can all understand. Because here's what I know about expectations. When you are functioning in a relationship, in a marriage, in a partnership with expectations, expectations will create a debt-debtor relationship. See, expectations make the assumption that you owe me. You owe me. I've given you this, and now you owe it to me to fulfill it. You owe me the debt, and you have to pay that back to me. You need to make me enjoy the money and the calendar and the travel and whatever else. You owe me all this stuff, and I owe you. And even though we're both in debt, even though we're both in debt to each other, it creates a relationship that God didn't have in mind because it boils down to us saying to the other person, this is what you're supposed to do. This is who you're supposed to be. Now, here's the question I have for you in this type of relationship. How much gratitude do you express to people who pay you what they need to pay you? who pay you what they should pay. Does your electric company ever call you and be like, man, thank you so much for paying your bill. We're so grateful. 
The waitress brings you the correct amount of change. Oh, man, thank you. That was awesome. You just keep it. Some of you are really poor tippers. No, you don't do that, right? How much gratitude do we show when the waitress brings that to us? Or the, what does gratitude look like when it's for people that owe us or pay us for what they should? Our gratitude is minimal. See, we rarely express gratitude for what we've come to expect. So I, I want to say this to you. In every relationship, there are certain roles that we take on. And I don't mean stigmatized, you know, overly traditional stuff. I'm saying there is a part of you that you bring to the relationship that you will fulfill a role better than your partner, your spouse. And there's stuff that they're going to do, that they're going to live into, that they're going to do better than you. That's the beauty of the relationship. And those things become normal. And often those things become expected. But when your spouse or your partner performs a thing they've always performed and you expect it, then we don't have room for gratitude. When it functions off of expectations, well, you've always done that, so you just keep doing that, then we don't have room for gratitude. When I expect Carrie to do what she's always done, the gratitude is minimal. So I'm not gonna thank you when you do it, but here's what I know. I'm gonna ask you about it when you don't. Does that sound familiar? So we don't have room for gratitude. If I get so accustomed to it that I expect it, I will not be grateful for it. I want to say to you, gratitude has the ability to supercharge your relationships. Showing gratitude towards your spouse will, will transform it. Wow, I can't believe you did this. I didn't expect it, and I'm grateful for it. Because gratitude is an indication that you have not filled up the person's box with expectations. The debt and debtor relationship eliminates the possibility of unconditional love. Do you know why? Because the unconditional love requires margin. Unconditional love says there's space in my box that I didn't expect you to, to fulfill. And because you filled me up anyway, I will love you unconditionally. There's margin in that. But when it's all full of expectations and it's debt or debtor, then there's no room for that unconditional love. If you owe me, you can't love me. Do you love your electric company? Owing me eliminates me loving you. If I owe you, I can't love you. Love, See, listen, love doesn't do well in an environment of expectations because it requires that margins, those margins. Expectations remove the margin for love to be recognized and appreciated. See, expectations imply that it's just supposed to happen. And that box full of expectations will undermine the intimacy in your relationship quicker than anything because for the other person... You may say, these are my hopes, dreams, and desires. Aren't they great? But for the other person, the expectations simply feel like weight pressing down on them nonstop. Because if I meet your expectations, then we're back to even. But I can never do enough. I can never get ahead enough to show you that I truly love you. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. Because I know something that happy couples, I know something that all happy couples know, and I'm going to tell you next week. So bring somebody with you. It's going to be incredible. But a couple questions for today. Here, here's what I think we need to ask. Number one, what should we do with our hopes and desires? Should we get rid of them? Because I don't think that's the answer. I, I don't absolutely need any of the stuff in the box. So should I just dump them? No, I would say this to you because much of the many of the things in this box and your hopes and your dreams and your desires are good things and not just good things. They're God-given things that he created you to dream about, that he created you to hope for, that he created you to desire, and you need to understand that. So should we feel guilty about them? 
Should we pretend they don't exist? Should we hide from them, ignore them, lie about them? The short answer to that question, what should I do with my hopes, dreams, and desires, is I want to say this to you. Keep them in your box. Keep them in your box. And then the second question, which is natural, how do I do that? And I think the, the answer to that question, the short answer, is the direct answer to this next question. And this is going to bother you. I'm going to tell you. Are you ready? This is, going to, this is the disturbing part. You're going to walk out, well, that was not helpful. Come back, Okay. Because here's the question. It's something happy people know, happy couples know, and it's really hard. The best way to keep your hopes, your dreams, and your desires in the right box and not in the expectations box is to ask this question. What do they owe me? What do they owe me? And happy couples, every happy couple knows that the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. Amen. Nothing. They don't owe me anything. Happy couples understand this. I owe you everything, and you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. I owe you. You have loved me unconditionally. You've walked beside me, and I owe you everything, every part of my life. But you owe me nothing in return, and I know it doesn't make sense. It's like looking in a mirror with a mirror behind you. It just keeps going forever. I get it. But think about the happy couples that you know. Because they understand this. They walk through struggles and they still find happiness. They walk through pain and they find happiness because they live with the assumption that I owe you everything and you owe me nothing in return. Now, if you're here and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, I think happy Christian couples can take their cue from one of this, an all-encompassing command that Jesus gave. He was asked, what are the most important commandments? And he takes 613 commandments from the Old Testament, and he boils it down to this. Here's what it says. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. You know, underline that, highlight that. It's John 13, 34. Just as I've loved you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you. Paul actually takes this command throughout the New Testament. You can see this all over the letters of Paul. And he actually reframes it and he says, here's what it looks like. Ephesians 5, 2, he he tells the church, walk in the way of love. We're going to talk about this next week. Walk in the way of love. And then underline, circle, highlight, just as Christ loved you. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, just as. You're to love each other, just as. So Christian couples take this idea, as Jesus has loved us, just as Jesus has loved us, and they put it in the center of their relationship and their marriage, and what happens is the marriage and the relationship starts to look like what I call a submission competition. How competitively can I submit to you? Let's both race to the back of the line. Teachers, I know there's a lot of teachers in the room. You don't see this. I know everybody wants to be, front seats, I want to be the first. I want to be first. But the married couple, the happy Christian couple says, no, I'm going to love you like Jesus loved me. I want the back of the line. I don't want to be first in the door. I want to be, I want to be at the lowest part of our relationship. I want to serve you in the greatest way possible. It sounds miserable, doesn't it? And few of you will ever try it. But I'm telling you, the ones that get there, are the happy couples. They're the ones that the relationships don't just survive at the end of life. They don't just compromise. They actually thrive. These are the 80-year-olds that you look at and you're like, I'm uncomfortable with how loving you are towards each other. (laughs) Got it? Ever had those affectionate grandparents that it's like, you guys should just stop touching each other a long time ago. They're thriving. And I'm telling you, it's trust. It's not physicality. It's intimacy built from trust that they have learned. It's a submission competition. How much can I serve you? 
So as we close today, I want to give you two homework pieces. Now, this is thought homework, okay? Ladies, look at me. Be clear about this. Don't talk about the sermon today. You with me? Don't get in the car, guys. You're welcome. Don't get in the car and be like, okay, so what's in your box? No, okay? Because I'm going to tell you why. I just want you to think about it. We're going to come back next week. We're going to keep digging into this. But here's what I want you to know. Number one, two questions I want you to be thinking about. What's in your box? Number one, what's in your box? And I'm telling you not to talk about it because of this. One of the reasons you apply pressure to the other person in the relationship is because you don't know what's in your box. You don't know. Some of you have never confronted your own hopes, dreams, and desires, and you're so frustrated because the other person isn't meeting your hopes, dreams, and desires, but you don't even know what they are. And you stopped dreaming, you stopped hoping, you stopped desiring a long time ago. So that's the first question I want you to be thinking about this week. What's in your box? Some of you maybe need to actually sit down and write out, here's my hopes, my dreams, my desires for this relationship, for this life, for this marriage. What is in your box? And then here's the second part. And this is a hard part. Are you expecting, are you expecting someone else to carry this around for you? Are you expecting this to be their way of living, that they would carry all of these things? Are you doing this? Maybe, maybe you've handed it off. Have you handed this off and said, this is mine, but I want you to take it? Maybe you've done it intentionally. Maybe you've done it unintentionally. But have you passed off your box? Is someone carrying a weight that they were never designed to carry? So what's in your box? And are you expecting someone to carry it around for you? That's the end. That's it. I'm going to have the band come. Some of you are like, wait, really? That early? Yeah, it's not too early. But I want you to wrestle through that. Listen, this is step one. This is where we start. What's in your box? Are you expecting someone else to carry it around for you? Listen, here, here's what I'm going to tell you. Over the next four or five weeks, if you will invest, if you, th- this is a conversation. I don't see these as sermons, right? Many bad sermons end with questions. Good conversations start with them. Amen? So this is a conversation. Now, you have a choice to invest in this conversation or to check out and say, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And, and I'm talking, listen, if you're single... You've been through terrible relationships. If you're dating and you know you're not honoring the way God wants you to be living that relationship out, if you're married and maybe you're married, there's no, listen, there's no illusion lost on me that every single Sunday there are marriages in this room right on the precipice of destruction. I'd like to have this conversation with you before it gets rocked and not after. It's way better. If you've been divorced and you say, I I don't know where I'm going now, I'm inviting you to invest in this conversation over the next several weeks and say, I want to become the person that God wants me to be. God gave me these dreams, and I don't want to expect somebody else to carry it around for me. And you know where that starts? That starts in Jesus, because it says, just as Jesus loved us, let us love one another. If you don't understand the love of Christ, then it's going to be really hard to love people like Jesus did. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship together. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father.